I have to tell you, it is so, so good to have times like this where you just get surrounded by people who love God and you choose to let go of all the things, all the junk, all the dirt, all the filth, all the stuff that tries to get on us every week and let it just fall off as we praise God. You know, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Sometimes people, people don't, don't praise and worship because they don't feel like it. But I want you to understand, you help to bring God on the scene in an ever-present way as you praise God, as you lift up your voice and praise God. He's there, but it's an invitation for God to get involved. How many of you know we need God involved in our lives in every area? And so we should always be aware that whenever we encounter something, it's not a place of, gosh, I've got to see how I can make this work out because God already has a plan to work it out. Doesn't the Bible tell us that God will work all things out for, for who? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When we're walking in what God has for us, how many of you believe that the enemy is just going to leave you alone because you're doing God's will? Yeah. You know, he ramps it up. When, when he sees somebody committed and devoted and tracking with God, you become a target. And some of you are like, that's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, that's even worse. But we become a target. But understand this. When you're walking with God, you may be a target, but God is there with you to bring you through and into the plan he has for you for good. And, and no one can stop that. The devil can't. The only one that can kind of short-circuit that is us if we choose not to track with God, choose not to follow God. And that's why the enemy is relentless, relentless, trying to trip us up, trying to tempt us like Adam and Eve and going another direction. And uh, we, we need to be wise enough to realize we're not going to fall for it. Amen? Well, I, I will tell you that I was incredibly blessed by what I saw when I came back. Men, you did a great job around the church. Thank you very much. And thank you, Frank, for leading that group and, and your team. I also was incredibly blessed because I wasn't able to watch the service at the time the service was going on, but... I watched it, and I was, I was really encouraged. I was really challenged. I was informed and instructed. And God spoke to us last Sunday through Frank. And I just want to thank Frank for the great message. And, and Frank is like, I, I don't know about but, But he did. He made himself available and God used him. And, and that's one of the things that God does here all the time. That whoever God is speaking through is going to get a message to you because God loves you. God loves you deeply and God loves you greatly and he wants to prepare you for what you're going to face. And today we're going to continue on and finish up where we've been in the Lord's Prayer uh, we're in the last verse of it in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 13. And before you put it up, uh, we, we generally 
quote the Lord's Prayer. And the last part of it is, and lead us, what? Not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that sometimes we, we in these translations, it's not exactly the same. One of the, one of the things I learned from Pastor Gabe was we would talk and, and he would try to say what he was thinking in Spanish because I took three years of Spanish one and still didn't learn much. But he would try to translate it into English, and it didn't always come through as clear as it should have. And that's the way it is at times with the Bible. That's why we're told not to just read the Bible. We're to study. Now, if you're going to study, you have to do some work beyond just superficially taking in information. And, and so when you study this out, you find out in the original text, and I am not a Greek or Hebrew or any of those scholars, but I can read people who are. And I've read that they've indicated that that translation is not as accurate as it should be because it gives us an indication that God might lead us towards evil. How many of you know you would have a hard time trusting someone that might lead you to good or might lead you to bad? Right? But God is not ever going to lead you to bad. He'll lead you through it, but he's not going to lead you to it. There's another one that's pulling you towards evil. All right? And so a better translation of this is the New Living Translation, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6. It says this. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. How many of you think that's, that's a much better thing to, to be able to focus on, that God's going to be there to help us not yield, not give in to, not go the way of, of the temptation? Because when we get pulled towards temptation, when temptation grabs a hold of us and we start to participate in that temptation, that's when sin occurs. All right? It's not a sin to be tempted. We know that because the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all things and yet was without sin. And so we're tempted, but it's when we take the action on the temptation. The temptation is a drawing. It's, it's the word temptation, and I haven't really clearly defined it, but the word temptation is a desire to have something or do something you know you should not do or have. That's a general definition. And, and there are two major areas that, that the, are weapons the enemy uses. One is enticement, which is a solicitation, an enticement. It's a drawing. It's subtle. It's not real powerful, but there is something that draws us. It starts to pull on us. You know, sometimes I'll sit on the couch and watch TV, and my mind will be drawn to the freezer to the ice cream in the freezer. It's almost like it's talking to me. And unless I realign and refocus my thoughts, before I know it, there I am, standing in front of the freezer. The next thing I know, the drawer's open. And then I find ice cream in my hand. And if it's in my hand, it's a short distance to my mouth. And, and I'm, I'm doing things that I know that are not... Now, I'm... I'm Ice cream isn't a sin. Okay, I just want you to know that. 
But in my case, I really shouldn't be doing that. I know I shouldn't be doing that because there's, a, there's another thing I, I need to be doing, and that's getting back in, in shape and in getting my health back the way it should be. But, but we get pulled. We get enticed. We, we get drawn away. And it's not like, hey, get over here. It's like, hey, come on over. But then there's the other aspect of temptation, not the enticement and the solicitation, but it's, it's incitement, not excitement. Okay, I know temptation excites us because there is pleasure, the Bible says, for a season in sin. But incitement, when you incite a crowd, what happens? Have, have none of you watched any football on TV recently? <laughs> have you not seen how a stadium full of thousands, tens of thousands of people just get whipped into this fury over something that is just life-changing? <laughs> you would think it is. The way, way we respond when our team wins, it's like, oh, everything's gone great. But we still have the challenges that we had before the team won. And when the team loses, it's like, oh, my life is over. But it's not. And, and that in, incitement, when, when the enemy incites us, he provokes us. He's going to come subtly and draw us, or he's going to get right in our face and provoke us and try to drive us to react. You know what that's like. Somebody just keeps pushing, it's a little bit, and then they get in your face. Maybe you haven't. I've had that happen. Wow. I've done that. I've gotten in people's faces. And it evokes a reaction. And that reaction causes that person or me, if I'm reacting, if I'm provoked and I react, I just gave control over to whatever provoked me. And now that, that provocation, that type of temptation that provokes me, all of a sudden I'm going that direction before I even know it. And we are tempted hundreds, if not thousands. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. Thousands of times a day. This is one of those things that the enemy constantly uses, the temptation to pull us, draw us away, or drive us away from God. And so we, we've been looking at this and, and understanding that this is what happened with Adam and Eve, and, and Eve was drawn away. She was deceived. Part of the reason why was she didn't stick to what God said. She embellished. She added to, and we're not to add to or take away from the word of God. Because the word of God is the word of God, and the word of God is life. The word of God is truth, and it sets us free. The word of God brings health. 
and insight and understanding. And when we lose sight of it or lose a grasp, a grip on it, all of a sudden we're going to start to be moved by whatever whatever's pulling us or driving us. Instead of what we sang this morning, we build our house on what? Firm foundation. Our feet are on the rock. That rock, that firm foundation is nothing less than God's word. It's, it's about the parable of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. And the house that was built on the rock, the floods came and the rains came and the winds blew and the house stood because the house was built on the rock. And there was another one built on the sand and the Bible says that great was the fall of that house built on the sand. What is sand? It's just rock that's been broken down into little pieces. It's not the solid rock. And Jesus is our rock, but Jesus is also the word that was made flesh. And that's why it's so important for us to stand on the rock, on the word. In these days, one of the biggest indicators of the last days is darkness and deception. And darkness is everywhere, clouding the minds of many people. And deception is everywhere. And the antidote for deception is truth. If you know the truth, you won't be deceived. And so that's why the enemy tries to get us away from the word of God, away from the people of God, away from God himself, prayer. And, and when we're, we're pulled that direction, then we don't have what we need to be able to stand against the deception, the darkness, and the drawing or the driving of the enemy. And we go down. We, we give in. We become overwhelmed and overcome instead of being overwhelmingly more than conquerors. And so we don't want to be able to yield to temptation, but we can't do it on our own. Because the Bible says with us nothing is possible, but with God what? All things are possible. And so today we're going to we're going to look into this and we're going to see the temptation of the one who is our example, which is who? Jesus. We're going to look at the temptation of Jesus, but before we do, we need to understand that he is going to be our help. Now, how many of you know if two people fall into a deep hole, neither one of them is going to be able to help the other one out because they're both in it, right? I'm talking about a deep hole. What are they going to need? A ladder, a rope, but somebody that's outside of that, that is not confined by that or controlled by that. And so we see in the scriptures that Jesus, Jesus was tempted in, in everything. But in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil and he himself tempts who? No one. So every time we're tempted, we know it's not God. It's, it's, it's something to draw us away from God or drive us away from God. And just as we saw with Adam and Eve, if you're deceived and drawn away or you choose to rebel and be driven away, the same result is sin. 
and that sin brings death to our life. And the last time I checked, I, I have never had anybody say, pray for me for death. We want life. God wants life. And so he doesn't tempt us and draw us away towards that sin. And it says in verse 14, but every person is tempted. That's the truth. If you sit here today and say, I don't have any temptation, then you're lying to yourself and you're deceived. Because we're all tempted. And we're drawn away and enticed and baited by our own evil desires, lust and passion. Now, lust is a strong desire for something, and passion is a strong emotion towards anything. If you're passionate about something, it's what consumes you. And so this tells us that the enemy will present something, but now what happens is he's looking for us to respond to begin to take notice, just like Eve did, saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eye, and desirable to make one wise. That was that drawing. And then she decided, okay, I'm going to take it. She took action on it. When she was being drawn all, by all those, those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the desire, uh, the pride of life, those desires were pulling her, but she hadn't sinned until she took and ate. And then she gave to her husband with her. And so we saw how they fell, but we need to see that Jesus, Jesus is the one that is not going to tempt us. God doesn't tempt us. And in Hebrews, I'm sorry, yeah, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, Jesus, our high priest, is able to understand our weaknesses when Jesus lived on earth, he was tempted in what? Every way. I want you to realize that this is, this is the truth because if Jesus wasn't tempted in everything, he couldn't die and pay the price for every sin. But he was tempted in everything. Every temptation that mankind is experiencing, the enemy presented now, how did that happen? I don't know. But I don't need to know. I just need to trust and see. He was tempted in everything. He understands the temptation that you are struggling with, I'm struggling with. But he was tempted in the same ways we are tempted, but never sinned. And then it says, it tells us in Hebrews 2, verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Because when we're tempted, there is a suffering going on. I want it, but I shouldn't have it. Oh, right? Or am I the only one that that happens with? I don't think I'm that unique. He suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So he's able to help us. But the question is, will we recognize we need his help? Because he's there, ready, willing, and able to help us. But if we think, you know, I got this, God. I'll take it from here. The Bible says, beware. He who thinks he stands, except that he would fall. That's pride. And, and God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
when we recognize, man, God, I'm struggling here. And he's not, he's not shocked by, what? You're struggling? What's wrong with you? He knows we're frail, we're flesh and blood, flawed people, and we fail. But he's there to help us through all our struggles. And even if we get tripped up and fail and fall into sin, he can redeem that. He can turn that around and work it for good. That's how good God is. But he doesn't want us to go through the damage that sin brings. He wants to help empower us and impart to us what we need before we take the step and act on the temptation and enter into sin. And so we're going to look at his life in, in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start to see how Jesus was tempted. But again, we're going to see that it's important that we study. You know, it's, it's, there are things that we look at and we take them at face value and they're not accurate. Just like in the, the, the uh, Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation. God's not going to lead you into temptation. The better translation is going to help us not yield to temptation. The same thing happens here. And we're just going to read through the first three verses and then we'll, we'll go back. But it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him... He said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So uh, most everybody is familiar with this. If you're not, we're going to learn a lot about this. Because in this first part, it says Jesus was led up by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness. But see the little word first there, then, the word then? It connects us with what happened before. In the previous chapter, Jesus was baptized by his cousin John in the River Jordan. At that moment, the father spoke. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit of God came down and rested on him. Now, we see the Trinity right there. It's one of the few places in the Bible we see all three parts of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost right there. And so at that moment of God the Father's affirmation of his Son, of the Spirit of God coming on the Son, the Spirit now leads him into the wilderness, and this says to be tempted by the devil. But then it goes on to say, and when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to know in the original text, in the original translation, there are two words that are not in the original text. And the two words are to be. And so the way this actually reads is Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then it says, tempted by the devil. Not to be tempted by the devil. Why do you think Holy Spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness? What does it say in the next verse he did? Yeah, he was out there to fast and pray. He was out there to seek the Father to be with the Father, to be empowered by the Father and imparted to by the Father. And, and so he was out there and he was fasting and praying. It says fasting 
for 40 days and nights. Why do you think it tells us 40 days and nights? Because there were fasts that they would have that was just during the day. The moment the sun came up, they would not eat, and it would get to darkness, and then they could eat again. This is telling us this was a complete fast by Jesus. He did not take in any food for 40 days and nights. And then it says something amazing, just incredible revelation. Afterwards, he was hungry, hangry. Man, I, if I don't eat for a few days, I'm hungry. I can't imagine. I've never fasted 40 days and nights. I have, I have fasted for periods of time, extended periods. But obviously, looking at me, I haven't done it recently. But he was hungry. He's out there fasting. And how many of you know when you're doing what God has for you to do, the enemy shows up? And that's what happened here. That's why the Bible tells us in the original translation, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. It wasn't God's plan to tempt him. But the enemy wanted to divert what Jesus was going to do. And so it says in verse 3, now when the tempter came to him. When? After the 40 days and nights. The enemy is not stupid. He's been doing what he's been doing for a long time. And he is out there looking like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you remember last week what you learned about that from the message through Frank? When, when it says devour, what does that mean? To drink down. If you didn't hear the message last week, you need to hear it. It's very important. God gave us some very important tools to be able to stay free of idolatry, which we all have in our lives. And Frank did a great job in helping us understand that. But it says he seeks whom he may devour. It's a choice. And, and when he wants to devour us, Frank said, it's like putting us in a blender and pureeing us. Just breaking us down. How many of you know the enemy is trying to break you down? Break you down to the place where you have no resistance left. I, it's just what a lion does. And a pride of lions, when they're after their prey, they stalk them, they creep up on them, and then they jump out. And there's a panic that goes through whatever they're hunting. And that drives, remember the temptation will either draw us or drive us, it drives them to start to run. And what the purpose of that is, if they can run them far enough and keep after them, it'll wear them down to the place where they just don't care. And it's what happens in our lives. Sometimes we get so worn down, we just, God, I just can't do it. I can't. I've been there. And then he just drinks us down. But that's where the enemy comes to us in the weakest, most vulnerable times. That's where Jesus was. He's been 40 days without food, 40 days and nights. 
and he's really hungry. And the enemy comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, again, when you study this out, you find out that this was not a question, but it's been translated as a question. If you are the son of God, this in the original text was a statement. It's since you are the son of God. How many of you know when Jesus got baptized, the enemy was probably hanging around? And he heard what the father said. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now he's affirming, since you are the son of God, because you're powerful, because you have all these abilities, command these stones to be made bread. Use what you have and who you are to take care of yourself. And guess what? Jesus wouldn't do it. Jesus wasn't going to care, take on the care of himself. He was looking for the Father to care for him. And he was looking to be obedient to the Father. So, so Jesus responds to this first temptation. And this is what it tells us, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. We desire to eat. Anybody here not plan to eat today or tomorrow or the next day? I didn't think so. And so it's something that we want to do and we enjoy it. And we have become so food conscious in our society that people that just are so focused on food call themselves something. A, a term. Foodie. Oh, I'm a foodie. You're what? First time I heard that, I was like, what is he talking about? Our, our, our youngest son, Blaine, was talking about being a foodie. And I was like, you're a lot of things. I didn't know you were that. But, but that's where, that's where we, we realize we have, we, have a, we have channels 24 hours a day that are just about food. What do you think it would be like from somebody that comes from another country that they are starving and they come to America and they see all the food and see all the, the focus on food? They'd be blown away. Because it's like a different planet. And so Jesus, Jesus is now being tempted. It's a real temptation. He's hungry. If it wasn't a real temptation, it wouldn't have, have been tempting. But it was. He's hungry. He wants to eat. And the enemy's encouraging him to do something about it. Take care of yourself. And the next verse, verse 4, this is how he responds. But he answered and said, did you notice that he just said he didn't yell, he didn't scream? He didn't, he didn't get violent? You know, when some people take authority over the enemy, it's just crazy. In the name of Jesus! Are you dealing with a deaf spirit? What's going on? You know, if somebody really knows their authority, they don't have to raise their voice. If you really know who you are in Christ, you don't have to make a scene. And so Jesus speaks to him and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Now, what's he doing? He's quoting scripture. Anybody know what scripture this is? 
See, this is where it's important. We need to read, read around. Do you remember last week? When, when we were told, we were reminded of what Shelby had to say in an offering message that you need to read around the scripture so that you don't get things out of context. And, and when I heard that, I was reminded of what someone said. They said, if you take scripture out of context, it becomes a pretext. And when it's a pretext, it's a misrepresentation. It's a twisting of truth. And how many of you know the enemy loves to twist truth? And we shouldn't do it. And we shouldn't fall prey to it. But right here, this is in Deuteronomy. All right? And, and what has happened? Jesus says, it is written. What's he doing? He's not, he's not rebuking the enemy He's turning to the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible tells us the Word of God is truth. And what does truth do? Well, if we're being drawn towards something, pulled towards something, or driven towards something, we need to be set free from the draw or the drive. Right? That's why he's turning towards truth. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Cuts through what needs to be cut through and cuts off the things that need to be cut off. And so he immediately says, it is written. It is written. And then he quotes the scripture. How do you think he did that? Do you think he pulled out his Bible? The Pentateuch? Do you know how Jesus did this? He had memorized this. I'm telling you right now, we are in a very dangerous time. It's growing more dark and more dangerous. And it's going to be more destructive to not just the people in the world, but to many Christians. Because we don't have the word of God built in to us. If you know there's going to be a famine, what do you do before the famine strikes? If you know there's going to be an ice storm coming to you in central New York this year, an ice storm, and you've got warning, what happens at the grocery store? It's like crazy. People are pulling stuff off the shelves. They've got two carts. What are they doing? Stocking up on what they're going to need to be able to face the trial ahead of them. You know what we as Christians do? We kind of go along our merry way, and when the temptation or the, the trial comes or the storms come or the floods come, that's when we try and get into the Bible. What does it say? Because if we're not on the rock of God's word, the firm foundation, man, God was setting us up this morning. He wanted us to sing out the truth and then hear how much we need to be founded on the rock, not on the sand, on the rock. 
And that rock is God's word. We build that into our lives, our hearts, our minds. We're supposed to memorize and meditate on the word because we're meditating on things. Meditation is us just rolling things over in our minds, and most of our rolling over in our minds is not good. And that will sink you. It'll cause you to want to be, to give up, to be hopeless. And we are not hopeless people. As a Christian, there is no place we should ever be hopeless because to be hopeless is to be without God because God is the God of all hope. And there's no place you or I ever are or ever will be that God's not there ready, willing, and able to help us through whatever we have encountered. And that hope, biblical hope, is a confident expectation of God doing good because that's what God does. But when we lose that hope, all of a sudden, we start to just get so full of sorrow and depression. You know, the disciples in the garden slept when Jesus told them to pray. And he told them to pray that you enter not into temptation. And they slept, and the Bible tells us they slept for sorrow. They had become hopeless because they were looking at the wrong thing. And so Jesus focuses on the truth of God's word, and he says, this is what God's word says. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's now just focused back on the word of God, and he is standing strong. He's able to resist the temptation to make the stones into bread because he has chosen to please God and follow God instead of what he desires. But he had made a decision early on. He said, I've not come to do my will. I've come to do the will of my Father. And I do everything that pleases him. That's what we're here for. We're here to do the will of our Heavenly Father. And when we remind ourselves, then we take ourselves and put ourselves aside and let God be front and center. God be the most important, just like you heard last week. He is the most important thing in our lives. But the enemy is relentless, right? And he keeps coming after us. And he did with Jesus. And there is the next temptation. And it says in verse 5 and 6, Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now, this is really, really interesting. It's getting really intense because the enemy takes him, and we don't know how, whether it was a vision or whether he physically took him to the pinnacle of the temple, but rabbinical traditions were, were taught that when the Messiah, the King Messiah comes, he'll come to the pinnacle of the temple to be revealed. How the enemy knew this, who knows? 
But he is trying to set Jesus up. And, and then he does something really interesting. Again, he says, if you are the Son of God, in the original translation, this now is a question. It really is a question. Questioning. If you're the Son of God, are you? Does God the Father really care that much about you? You know that. You get attacked by that. Does he really care that much about you? Are you really that important to him? You know what you've done. Why would he care about you? But I want you to know he does. That's a temptation to doubt the love of God for you. And God has loved you with an everlasting love. And God has drawn us. Temptation draws us, but God also draws us with his loving kindness. And, and all of a sudden, the enemy says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And what's the next phrase he uses? For it is written. Now he is turning the tables on Jesus. What a dumb thing to do. Questioning the word about the word. It is written. So now he's using scripture. Anybody here besides me ever had the enemy try and use scripture on you to pull you away? Man, I've had it happen a lot of times. And at times I fell prey to it because I didn't know what the word said. But right here we see, we see what happens. He quotes this scripture, but in verse 7, this is what Jesus says. He said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Why does he say that? Because, again, the enemy is using scripture, but how many of you know that he'll twist it? And he left out part of what that scripture is. And I, I you know, I'm tempted right now. <laughs> I am tempted to say to you, you know what, you need to go look it up and find out what he left out. But some of you would be like, I don't care. But you should. You should because that's what the enemy does to us. He takes portions of Scripture to try and use it against us. And if we don't know what the truth is, then we're going to fall for any partial truth he brings. Because if it's a part truth, what else is it a part of? A lie, which makes it a full lie. Because a lie is like poison. If you put poison in a glass of water, it spreads through the whole glass of water. And that lie spreads through even when truth is present to a degree when it's being used and twisted in the wrong way. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows what the word of God says. And what was left out is he shall give his angels charge over you uh, in all, over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But what was left out is to keep you in all your ways. And the Amplified, it tells us to keep you in all your ways of obedience and service. God's not going to protect us when we go off on a tangent because we've just walked away from him. We need to be near him. Now, he does protect us in our ignorance, 
But in our arrogance and rebellion, that's sin. He can't protect us from the sin we choose. Sin brings death. But he can redeem it. He can work it for good when we repent and turn around. And so in this moment, he's left out. And Jesus doesn't address what he said and what he left out. He addresses the principle. You're telling me to try and prove to you I'm the son of God, so I'm going to do something that is not in line with God's word. There's a portion of it, but it's not fully in line with God's word because it's not God's will that I throw myself off the pinnacle. There is a true story of missionaries that were going out to reach a very remote village, and they had had very heavy rains. And they walked up to this river that was at overflow stage. And they just decided, you know, we can walk on water. God will keep us through this. The people, God's people went through the Jordan River at overflow. They went through the Red Sea. That was just something they decided, not something God told them to do. And so they walked out into the river and they were swept away and never found again. We can't presume things. We can't assume things. We need to build our lives on the rock of God's word on truth. Because when you and I assume things, what happens? I can't go there this morning. But you know. You know. And so he, he comes right against the root of the temptation, tempting God. Prove it. Prove it. You know, people who know who they are don't have to prove it to anybody. It's only when we're insecure and we don't know who we are, we're trying to get everybody to, to affirm us. We are a society that is addicted to affirmation. You don't believe that? How many times do you check different things that you post to see how many likes you got? And I'm not saying that's sin, but I'm saying you can, you can undermine your assurance of who you are by looking to people to affirm you. The Bible says you, as a child of God, are already accepted in the beloved. You are the apple of his eye. You are so loved, he gave his son for you. Your value, no matter what anybody else thinks, doesn't go up and down with what you do. Your value is set. God so loved and so treasured and so valued you, he exchanged his son for you. And no matter what anybody else says or thinks, it just shows their ignorance. So Jesus, again, it is written. It is is written. How many of us today think we have enough of God's word in us that when we're tempted, we would be able to go back right away, immediately, to what the word of God says, what the truth says to keep us free? I can't do it. And I've studied for years and years, decades upon decades. 
And I still haven't built enough word in me to say I would be confident to be able to stand. But that's where we continue to grow. We continue to build. If you go out and get groceries this week, you're going to have to do it probably in another week or two or a couple of days, depending on the age of your kids. <laughs> but this is an ongoing thing, and most of the time we are lulled into with a sense of security, lulled into a place that, you know what, everything's going well. When everything is going well, that's the time to really dig into the Word because you can put it in with no stress and no pressure. Nothing else pulling on you because when you're in need, when you're in the storm, it's not time to try and find the answer. That's the time to know what the answer is and stand strong on it. And Jesus is the answer. The Word of God has the answer for everything. And again, we see that the, the enemy is relentless. He doesn't let up. And here comes another temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, you know, some people get really caught up in the details. Well, I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he could see all that. I don't care. There are just some things I just don't have the capability of understanding. And there are going to be things in the Word of God you don't necessarily understand but you choose to trust and believe. Oh, that didn't go over well. Because we tend to want to be able to understand it before we believe it. And the Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart, lean not to your own understanding, and always acknowledge him, seek him. And he'll direct your steps. But we, we are so mentally Dependent. I've got to understand, I've got to understand, especially with God and his, his, his ways. And yet, there are so many other places in our life. We, how many of you have coffee machines? You're like, why are we going to coffee machines? I like coffee. Is coffee a sin? No, coffee's not a sin. Not unless you drink gallons and gallons a day. All right, how many of you can take your coffee machine apart and put it back together and you know how it works? I got one, I got two, I got three, I got four. I got a coffee machine you can't take apart and figure out how it works. <laughs> but we have all sorts of stuff in our lives that, that we don't understand and yet we just enjoy it. We embrace it. You know, you may be able to take apart your coffee machine, but you may not be able to figure out and take apart and put back together and know how all sorts of things in your life work. Why, why do we put demands on God and he's even more complex than any coffee machine or machinery we would come in contact with as human beings? There's no plumbing the depths of who God is. He is beyond our ability to comprehend. And so don't make your comprehension, understanding, a means to limit your believing. So... The devil took him up on this mountain and showed him all the kingdoms and their glory. And look what he says to him. All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Well, he didn't have that. Yes, he did. 
all the kingdoms of the world were already given to him. He was given authority in this world by Adam and Eve. He had the right to rule all of that, and that's why he's still doing what he's doing in the earth. Because he has a right given to him by Adam and Eve in the fall at the garden. If this wasn't real, it wouldn't have been the temptation. Jesus would have said, it's not yours. You don't have that to give to me, so I'm not tempted at all. But Jesus knew that it was. And what's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to cause Jesus to take a shortcut. What did Jesus come into the world to do? Seek and save the lost, right? to redeem mankind, all people. And right here, the enemy's presenting him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory as saying, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you what you're here to get without going to the cross. How many of you know that was a temptation? We all know it's a temptation because in the garden when Jesus was praying, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed before he went to the cross, and he said, Father, if this cup can pass away, let it pass away. I don't want this. This is not what I want. But then, not my will, but your will be done. And the enemy is presenting to him a way to accomplish, it looks like, what his mission is with just a slight wrinkle. Don't honor God. Don't give God the preeminence. Don't make him first place, your father. Just, just bow down to me. Worship me. Because that's what he was always after. And Jesus responds in verse 10 and says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, in Deuteronomy, he, he quotes the scripture, it is written. Now, if Jesus had to battle the enemy this way, how do you think we should battle the enemy? The same way. But my question this morning is to all of us, including me, do you have enough of God's word built into your heart that you are prepared to face the enemy and be able to say like your Lord and Savior did to defeat the enemy, it is written. Because I don't. And I've told you that already. I don't have, I have a lot of word in me, but I don't have all of it. And so I have to keep putting it in. But I also... I need to have resources available to me that I will use on a regular basis to be able. If I can't find it, if I don't know it, I've got to be able to find it. See, I want you to know, in this life, every temptation and test is open book. Open book. And you may say, but I'd never be able to memorize all of that stuff. I will tell you something. I was never able to memorize anything. I could not read and remember what I read. 
I didn't know I had a learning disability. But all through elementary school and junior high and high school and college, I struggled with that until I found out what the Word of God said. Two things I found out. One, that I need to meditate on His Word day and night in Joshua. Then I'll make my way prosperous so that I can do what's there. So I'll make my way prosperous. I'll have good success. And number two, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I was facing this situation where I couldn't do it. I had proven it over years and years. But now God's word tells me I can do all things through Christ. And then he tells me I'm supposed to study and I'm supposed to meditate. And I'm saying, God, I can't do that. And now I am denying God his truth. And that was my truth. But my truth was a deception. And I had to start to turn around and change the thinking in my, my mind. God, you said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You said I'm supposed to, to study your word. I'm supposed to meditate on your word. So, Lord, help me. And over years, this was not a miracle. This was a process. Over years, God has helped me to memorize and to remember what I read. But it's pretty interesting because when I read just any book, I usually don't retain it. But when I read the Bible or I read books that are about the Word of God, I have better retention. I think that's God helping me keep the garbage out. But he says, this is what the Word of God says. This is why it's time to build this into you because deception is rampant. And until you know truth, you'll never recognize deception. When they train people to spot counterfeit bills, do you know they never show them counterfeit bills? They always give them the real thing and they study the real thing so that when they get something that isn't like the real thing, they know it's not real. It's the same thing that's necessary to us in these days. And so Jesus, Jesus said it's written, but what was he doing? He was doing what James chapter 4, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, James chapter 4, uh, verse 7 and 8, it says, therefore submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. So the first part of us, when we engage, when the enemy comes to tempt us, we submit ourselves to God. We yield to God. We give ourselves to God. But how do we do that? I'm giving myself to God. What does that mean? Well, it means you're giving yourself over to align and track and do and abide by the word of God. That our lives are in line with the word of God. When we're walking in line with the Word of God, directed by the Spirit of God, and by the way, Holy Spirit will remind you of the Word. That's what happens. We build it in, and because it's the sword of the Spirit, when you're in a situation, you can trust God if you've built it in. You know, you can't take out what you haven't put in. If you built the Word of God in you, Holy Spirit can bring you the sword of the Spirit, what you need to be able to cut through what the enemy's trying to do. 
And so we submit to God. We submit to him. But, but most people have a very small idea of who God is and what God wants. You know, if there was a gr- great thing years ago. Uh, they had little bands and things like that. What would Jesus do, right? The problem with that is most Christians didn't know what Jesus did. Didn't know what Jesus said. So they made up another Jesus, and the Bible tells us in the last days, people will preach another Jesus. And it's happening. But we submit to God. That's our first. We turn towards God. We give ourselves to God. We track with God. We, we focus on God and his word and his ways. And then we can resist the enemy. Why? Because we've just turned our back on him and we are focused on God and we are following God. And the enemy can't do anything about it except tempt us. Try and get us distracted. Try and draw us away or try and drive us away. But we're not going to fall for that. And then it says, we resist the devil and he'll flee. It literally means he runs in terror from you. But in verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You know, you're as close to God right now as you have chosen to be. That's a very sobering truth. Because sometimes we walk our life out with God out there. You know, I'll take care of it, God. Don't get into that area of my life. And you know what? He will not bust down the wall. He loves you and respects you too much to force you to do anything. So if we put a limit on him, and I've done that, the Bible talks about how Israel tempted God and limited the Holy One. We can do this. We can limit God because he won't force his way on us. But as much as he wants the best for us, he will let us choose whatever we choose. And so we submit to God. We resist the devil. He'll flee. He'll run. But we need then, because we've been in this battle, the enemy's trying to draw us or drive us away. Now we need to draw near to God. Turn back and move towards God. And there is something in us that many times is counterproductive because we think, you know, I've fallen into sin or I've I've gone the wrong way or I've done the wrong thing. God, I'm sure you don't want me back. And we, we punish ourselves to try and prove to God we deserve forgiveness. Guess who got punished for your forgiveness, for my forgiveness? And it's a done deal. It's Jesus. Draw near to God. Then it says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Stop doing what you did. And detach your heart, your desires from what has grabbed you, drawn you, or driven you. And then a great scripture, if you get nothing else today. The next scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what it says. I've written to you who are God's children. That's, I believe, everybody here today. You online, if you've received Christ as your Lord, that's you. Because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ. Who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. 
And then hang on to this. God's word lives in your heart. And you have won the battle over the evil one. Another translation says, God's word abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. I want you to know today, God has for you to overcome in everything. Everything. And I don't know what you're facing, but he does. And he's right there with you all the time. And that's where it's so important for us to realize he's there. We need to have his word here, here, here. Because we speak out. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. As you speak the truth, the truth cuts through the darkness. Because that truth is light. every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, God is, is always setting people up, and some people think he's setting them up to trip them up, but God never trips us up. He never tempts us. It's the enemy that's there to trip us up. And, and today, if you have never turned towards Christ and trusted him, it's hard to trust people in this world. Man, they, they don't come through, but I want you to know God will never fail you, but he will not do what you want in the time you want and the way you want because he's got a better way. And today, if you have never turned to Christ to trust in him, I'm going to invite you to pray today. And if that's you, and, and you want Jesus to be Lord of your life and to begin to do life with God and have this relationship with him that he is ever present, ever involved, ever invested because you have turned to him and trusted in him. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. I, I want this new life, this new beginning. I'm going to ask us all to pray together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to earth, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for my sins. Was raised from the dead. And is glorious and victorious. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I come to you in need of a Savior. Lord, I repent. I turn to you to trust in you, come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Cleanse me from all sin. Thank you for a new relationship with you. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here, let somebody know before you leave. If you prayed online, please let us know. Go to the website, reslifeny.org. Go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. God is so good, isn't he? The enemy is so bad, isn't he? 
Yes, he is. And that's why we got a great God who not only cares for us and watches over us, he lives in us and goes with us everywhere and imparts and empowers us to overcome. Amen? God is great. Would you stand? I just want to pray over you before you go today. Because the enemy is out there. But guess what? God has gone ahead of you and prepared the way. He'll lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for each and every one of your children here, those that are watching online, listening. Father, I thank you that there's no place we can go that you aren't there and that you don't care. And Father, no matter what we've done, you love us and you're waiting for us to turn to you and trust in you. That you can bring us into the abundant life that your son died to give us. So today, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I thank you for the plan you have for each and every one of your children. It's a plan for good, not for evil, with a future and a hope. I thank you that you said you're going to direct their steps because the steps of the Lord are ordered of you. That you're going to go ahead of each and every one this week. And in spite of the temptations, the traps, and the snares of the enemy, Father, you provide safe passage as we follow you. Lord, we are here to follow you and fulfill your will. And we thank you for working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. have a great week.